0: Take your Bibles and open them, if you will, to the uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, Ephesians chapter six, and I'm going to read one verse, and that only. You follow in your copies as we read from God's inerrant, infallible, inspired. The very word of God is black words on a white page. Verse 4 of chapter 6. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades The word of our God, that endures forever. Guys, two weeks ago on the uh, 5th of November, I uh, came to you and told you that I had had an experience with our director of senior high youth, Will Savell, And uh, it had uh, really scarred me or moved me, whatever is the right word. But it stirred me to want to at least try and offer something that would help this whole process of parenting. Uh, I guess through my experience with Will, I, I, I saw that, oh my, parenting is so much more difficult now than when we did it. As I told you, we had three girls, and they're all gone and married and have children of their own now, and, and um, it was tough. And I mean, we fought some real battles and and the, the the, the uh, hardest one that we fought over technology was over call waiting and uh, you know I finally yielded to the pressure of four women but um, I mean now, my goodness, what you 're faced with is just it's mind boggling and and not just technology, a lot of other things as well i mean the the um, The decay of our whole culture; um, everything is seems to be at least morally eroding out from underneath us, as I think you would agree. But so two weeks ago, I told you that I was going to do two sermons, and this is number two. You know, (laughs) I'd like to be of help. I'm not sure how much help this is. It's it's an awfully little bit, if it's any. But you may remember that we talked two weeks ago about the why of parenting. And I said then that if you got the wrong why you're going to end up with the wrong house. Our methods are bad because our whole our whole why is wrong. We choose the wrong strategies because we've got the whole we got the whole sense of purpose wrong. And I told you then that we went to the cultural mandate in Genesis 1 and I told you that um you know what we've been charged with is raising God's grazing uh, kids to God's glory. And, and instructing them according to Deuteronomy 6 in, in righteousness. That that, that was the why. And hopefully that the why would change our hows. And then I said that, that's the, the second point of what I said two weeks ago was that, um, is that God is not only interested in raising your kids, He's just as interested in the, in this process and how it will affect you as a parent. That this this process is not simply for their benefit. It's for our benefit, too. And and, and benefit in this sense. That it's it's a piece of training and instruction in righteousness. Guys, there's nothing that will call from your depth of character like parenting. But at the same time, there's nothing... That will expose your weaknesses as, as radically as will parenting. So that's what we talked about two weeks ago. And I told you I had one more for you and this is it today. And, and I, I said to you two weeks ago that the Bible, uh, speaks to the whole issue of parenting. Um, and I, and I said it maybe not frequently, but it does speak to the issue of parenting. And the text that I read you out of Ephesians 5 is one such text. Um, The Bible is not silent. doesn't say much, but it says this much. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture, the admonition, the instruction of the Lord. Now, what I need to do real quickly is clear away something that might be a misunderstanding about this text. That's, that's what we gotta do first, just kind of as a, as a preface to everything. Because it, it may appear, as you read it at first glance, that it's addressed to fathers and fathers only. Does that mean that mothers somehow get a, a, a free pass in this whole, uh, parenting process. Not hardly. The Bible um, always addresses men as the leader of their families. I hope you realize that, gentlemen. Um, when when, When the Bible gets ready to talk about families, it's usually aiming its words at us as fathers, as the heads of our home. But that by no means suggests that mothers aren't key responsible, even culpable players in this whole parenting drama. If you you need some reassurance of that, you might want to take a look at the book of Proverbs. Not not now, but you might want to take a look at the book of Proverbs later on and um, see just how often mothers are addressed as well as fathers. There is one text that I want to read you. Uh, this is out of the story of Samson. Everybody remember that story, Samson and Delilah? Everybody seems to know the one about Samson and Delilah. You know, Delilah tricked him and he ended up blind and, and uh, you know, a slave to the Philistines. And at the end of his life, he, you know, you, you know that story. Samson was a big, strong guy. Well, before he was born, uh, his mother was barren. In fact, uh, the text never gives you the mother's name. It does give the father's name. His name is Manoah. But the angel of the Lord appears to the mother. And says, listen, uh, you know, I'm going to remove the barrenness. you're going to have a son. And um, she says, oh, this is great. Let me go tell my husband. And the husband says, would you please come back and say it again? And um, this is what the the father prays. He says, oh, Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us. Listen. And teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. Isn't that great? Hey 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 God would you please teach us not just me would you please teach us what we're supposed to do with this child that you're going to give us well, I bet you prayed that before maybe not enough but we probably prayed it but my point simply is to let you know that here's the head of the home Manoah saying would you teach us not just not just um not just Manoah Not just me, but teach us, teach me and my wife, what it's going to take, what you expect, what is to be done with this child that you gave us. Something maybe we ought to pray more frequently, I think. But all I'm trying to do at this point is to clear away what might be your initial impression with this text. Oh, that's talking to my husband. You know, that's not, Bob, it, does, it doesn't have anything to say. No, 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 ladies. Um, you're included in this whole parenting drama, as you well know. Now, I hope we can set that aside and move on with, uh, with the issue that I want to uh, talk about this morning. And my purpose is simply to talk about this whole provoking thing. Did you see it in the text? In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke. Some of your translations might use that word, exasperate. (laughs) Don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't provoke your children to anger. Um, And and believe me, fathers aren't the only ones who can provoke children to anger. Mothers can too. But that's what I want to focus on, is this whole provoking. And what I have for you this morning is several suggestions as to how you might go about violating this text. That is, if your desire is to provoke your children, I want to give you five suggestions as to how you might do it. I mean, if you if that's what you'd like to do, then I, I want to help you. I want to help you provoke your children if that's what you're interested in. I'm going to give you five suggestions how you might do that. Here's the first one. How you might violate this text. Here's, here's the first suggestion. Uh, don't set any boundaries for your children. That'll provoke them. You know, um, guys. You need to listen to Seville. He knows a whole lot more about our families than I do. But you know one of the things that he hears a lot. By the way, Will Savelle is going to speak to parents on Wednesday night next. Not this coming one, but on the 29th. We're going to swap pulpits. I'm going to go speak to junior high and senior high. And he's going to speak to parents in the fellowship hall. Mark it down. 29th, Wednesday night. He's got some things to say. But you know one of the things that he hears? He hears something. Oh, my parents don't care one thing about me. You know how they come to that conclusion? Because it's almost in the same sentence. If it's not in the same sentence, it's in the next sentence. Oh, my parents don't care you. I don't matter to my kids because my 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 parents. Here it is. They don't care what I do. They've come to the conclusion that they don't matter. To us as parents, because we have chosen not to set any boundaries. The logical conclusion for a kid to a set of parents who will not set boundaries, the logical conclusion of that is they don't care. They don't care what I do because they don't care much about me. Guys, you want to violate this text? Here's one way. Don't set any boundaries. Boundaries are imperative. Let me, let me tell you my story that I've used. Gosh, I've used it I know of four, five, six times from this pulpit. Maybe not from this one, but from that one over there. It's my famous school fence illustration. But boy, it's a good one. It's a true story. Uh, I first heard it from a guy by the name of Dr. Norman Harper. Uh, Dr. Harper's in heaven now, but he was the kind of the guru of Christian education at, where, where I went to seminary. And um, he tells the story of an elementary school. Now listen to this, guys. This is a good story. You can use this. Uh, an elementary school that was located at the intersection of two major thoroughfares. They had six lanes going east and west, and six lanes going north and south. And at that intersection, there was located an elementary school. And of course, to protect the kids from the the, the traffic, there had been a chain link fence built around the school. And so, back in the '70s, when this was kind of the you know the the mantra you know uh, about freedom, the parents of kids in that school put up such a stink. With the PTA um, saying, that fence makes my kids look like they're a bunch of caged animals. I want that fence down. Take that fence down. You make my kids look like they're a bunch of caged animals. So they kicked up such a, this is a true story, they kicked up such a stink that the school took the fence down. Now, guess what happened the next day at recess? Now if you're sitting out there thinking, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Some kid run, ran out into the traffic and got run over. That's exactly what didn't happen. What happened the next day at recess is that the kids were so frightened by the prospect of that that they all huddled together in the center of the playground and wouldn't play. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, boundaries define freedom. Boundaries are the things that let me know where I can go, how far I can go, which direction I can go, and still be within safety. It's like the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments aren't designed to be a killjoy, ladies and gentlemen. They're designed to Enhance life. Your kids need to know where the boundaries are. And that means you've got to set them. What will you tolerate with alcohol? Huh? Your kids know? Drugs, sex, internet porn. Where are the boundaries, ladies and gentlemen, for heaven's sakes? Where are they? Lying? Treating your wife? Where are they? Guys. Mom and daddy. The two of you need to get together. And you need to decide on the boundaries. Make as few as you can make. You don't need a long list. Make it... Make it things that you're willing to die on, hills that you're willing to die on. But set the boundaries and make them known. Because if you don't, the logical conclusion for your kid is that I don't really matter. Because they don't really care what I do. That's one way to provoke them. And the second way that you can provoke them to wrath is by regularly... Changing those boundaries or moving those boundaries. You know, changing your mind about the boundaries. Uh, You know, today is yes, but tomorrow is no. Over the same issue. Uh, I give my permission yesterday, but then I take it away today because you take me off, kid. A week ago, you tell me I can go to the prom, But the morning of the prom, I'm mean to my little brother, and so you withdraw permission. If you want to provoke him, that'll do it. Guys, one of the earmarks of a believer is that we are people of our word. You know the text Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, let your yeas be yeas and your nays nays. We don't, we don't use that word anymore, but I, I bet you understand it. Let your yeses be yeses and your noes be noes. The psalmist in Psalm 115, uh, Psalm 15 says, we are people, that is the people of God are people who swear to our own hurt. We make a deal. We stick to the deal, even if the deal turns out to be disadvantageous for us. Guys, I'm not trying to say that meanness to her little brother or his little brother is a small thing. No, it needs to be dealt with tomorrow, after the prom. After you gave permission, then you stick with your work. We don't set the boundaries one place and then change them the next day. Address the meanness. Yes. After the prom. You know, I'm afraid that some of our punishment is our way of lashing out of hitting back of hurting back because we've been hurt the reason i understand that is because i'm guilty of that but that ain't helping we set boundaries and we leave them there here's a third way to If you want to violate the text, i got some advice for you. Here's the third way. You can discipline without any interaction with your kid. Um, You discipline them without ever any kind of effort to establish relationship. Guys, discipline... Your familial discipline, including spanking, is completely your prerogative. However, in addition to the punishment itself, whatever that is, or grounding, or whatever it is that you're doing, you may want to enter into some kind of dialogue as to the why the offense occurred in the first place. For example, you catch your teenage son drinking. there's a lot of that going on did you know it but you catch your underage teenage son drinking and first of all you're scared to death and you're embarrassed and you tell your don't you tell any of my church friends you did this i don't want my church friends to know this so you punish and you rant and you rave and you you swing and but you make no effort no attempt to try and understand what has led your son to start drinking at the age of 16. You know, why he's done it is probably more important than he did it. And, um, but, but trying to get to the bottom of that is going to take oh, some hard work. That's right. And that's what we don't want to do. It's the hard work. And so we just flail and scream and rant and rave. Just for starters, these might help, these might not, but just for starters, you may want to apologize to your kid for your own inconsistent behavior. Maybe, Maybe, just maybe, you've abused alcohol. Then you may want to weep. You may want to weep with them and over them. You may want to tell them that the way of the wicked is hard. By the way, that's from the Bible. You may want to tell them that the reason that you don't want them to be a liar or a thief... Is because the life that awaits a, the life of the liar is a hard life. The life of a thief is a hard life. And you may even want to mention that underage drinking is illegal. And by so doing, you enforce the idea that maybe obedience to the law is a good thing. Because people who live a life of habitually breaking the law, they have places to uh, house those folks. They're called penitentiaries. But whatever you say, enter in and listen and pray. But God's doing nothing is not an option. Or even worse, saying one thing and then not making good on what you said. Or even worse than that is by disengaging and becoming remote. Because you're so scared. And you're so you're so aware of your inadequacy. We all are. But you gotta enter in. Here's a fourth way, if you'd like to violate this text. I'm going to give you another a fourth suggestion. Here's the fourth way. Another way to provoke your kid is to trust your kid. <laughs> you know, one of the instant assault weapons for a teenager is to look at his parents in the midst of a blow-up, and he says, or she says, um, you, don't, you don't trust me. Now, here's the answer to that. When it is said, here's what you say. You're right. I don't trust you. And I don't trust you because I understand the doctrine of total depravity. And if you had any sin, son, you wouldn't trust yourself either. Because people who trust in themselves, they end up like Peter. You remember Peter? Peter's the one that says, oh yeah, Jesus, all those other guys, they're gonna, they're gonna betray you, but (laughs) not me, Jesus. And you know what happened. Ladies and gentlemen, you stick your kids in a compromising moral situation and then you wonder why they failed. I'll tell you why they failed. It's called the doctrine of total depravity. You got it. I got it. We all got smushed by it. It was a cosmic car wreck that left its scar on all of us. No, I don't trust you, son. I don't trust me. Here's the fifth and final way that I'll mention. I only have five, but um, uh, if you want to violate this text, I'm going to tell you how to do it. Here's the fifth way. You can build up a huge trust fund and a promised inheritance for your children. Gang, listen to me. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. You may be stealing from your kids the opportunity for them to develop a relationship with God as their provider. But if you're not doing that, I can tell you something that you're definitely doing. You are robbing them of the kind of experiences that made you who you are and produced your wealth. Gang, love them enough to not leave them wealth. Listen, wealth without work produces nothing good. Wealth without work produces nothing good. Making life easy for them is not making life easy for them. Guys, you know this is true. You've seen it happen. You've seen what wealth can do to you. As, and then to just dump it on your kids. It's a curse. And they end up being people that you don't even like. You want to provoke them? Just leave them a whole lot of money. And then allow that they not have to ever work a day in their lives so that they can't learn the lessons of character that you learned by working most of the days of your life. Just leave them a trust fund. That's a way to ruin them. Now, guys, I'm going to close with... Five quick suggestions. Those are are ways to violate the tax, but these are are five ways to to get on with this process of parenting. I hope they're helpful. Number one, get over your embarrassment and get real with God and with us and with your kids and with other parents. You're going to need our help. So your kids had a blowout, did they? I'm sorry. I've tasted that pain. But it doesn't do any good to pretend that you're ideal and have ideal kids. Get over it. Get over the embarrassment. And get real. Secondly, get Spectre software and read your kids' MySpace and their friends daily. I can't wait to say that the next hour, this crowd that sits over here in the next hour, they're going to rush the stage. (laughs) Guys, you, as a parent, want to know the truth, whatever the truth is, before it's too late. How do, you, how do you find out the truth? The truth is that which sets us free. How are you going to find it out? Are you going to continue to let this kind of information that is offered to you by your kids, they put it out in the public domain, and we're not reading it? Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know why we wouldn't. I don't know what would cause us not to. I, 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 I hate to even suggest why we wouldn't. But you have got to know who your kids are. Guys, we need to stop calling them cute little things. They are cute. But do you know what they're doing? Oh my. Do you know what WTF stands for? I'm not gonna tell you. But you can find out. Turn on your computer. And if they if your kid doesn't want you to see their MySpace, <laughs> can you can you write the next sentence? There's reasons for that. There's something that's being hidden. Is that what you is that where you want to live is in the dark? Guys, if you find out things that are going on, then here's the next suggestion. After you get Spectre software, throw it away. Plus the computers. Is that blasted thing that important to you? The PDAs and the, and the cell phones, get rid of them all. Life will work without them. I promise. Oh, they can go over to my neighbor's house. and you- Yeah, they can. But we can make it harder. If you're going to keep one of those things, get yourself Spectre software and learn how to use it, and find out what's going on in the life of your kid. It may discourage you. I understand that, but we got to know. Third, this is something that we hear from time to time, and I, for the life of me, I can't understand the strategy behind it. But here's a suggestion. Don't ground your kids from church. What we're finding is that parents are using church attendance to punish their kids. That is, oh, kid, I'm not letting you go to church. <laughs> I don't get it. Guys, how insane is it to prevent our children, from being part of something that God might use to change their hearts. Why would you do that? Don't do that. We're not the final solution. For heaven's sakes, we know we're not the final solution. But we're, we're a partner with you. We're a resource. Don't use the church to punish your kids. Fourth, mom and dad, you might want to ask for forgiveness from your kids. And then you might want to institute some godly changes in you. Show your kids just how much you hate sin. particularly your own. Fifth and finally, guys, I've I've said this, and I bet you're tired of hearing me say it, but I'm going to say it until there's no more breath in my lungs. Folks, our fear as parents, the turmoil that we're in as parents, <laughs> the turmoil that we're in is much the result of turning our kids into our own idols. Your whole identity is attached to having good kids And being model parents. And any time, anything other than Jesus Christ becomes the source of my worth, my value, or my identity, it's going to blow up all over us. So lay these kids of yours on the altar. Just like Abraham laid Isaac in Genesis 22. Lay your kids on the altar. You can't fix them. But you can cry out to God to smash your own idols. You can cry out to God to have mercy on your kids and their parents. Guys, I know they were precious when they were born. I know what fun it was, and I know how many of our needs were met. I did it. But my source of identity and worth as a human being is not that I'm a parent. Guys, I do realize that none of this is going to be easy to listen to, nor is there, it's going to be received very well unless the Holy Spirit is with us today, unless he has prepared your heart, which I have prayed for, for six weeks. So I'm hoping that God will find some kind of nugget of truth for all of us, because this is a huge enterprise, a huge undertaking of raising kids, is it not? But no matter how difficult, no matter how difficult it might be to raise the kids that you've got, keep this in mind. We're in the minor leagues compared to what God is in, up to in raising us. Our Father in heaven faces Huger issues in raising us as his children than we face in raising our own. As people who have received mercy, we need to become distributors of mercy. I hope that helps. Father, indeed, we long for your help, just like Manoah, knowing that he was going to have to raise Samson and, and cried out to you to teach us what we need to do with our children. That is our prayer this morning, O God. Teach us what we need to do. And if there's been any proper instruction from this pulpit this morning, I pray that you'll use it to advance the kingdom of Christ by making us more Christ-like parents Thank you for the privilege that we have to um, have our own sin addressed by the family that you've given us. So might this whole process end up with godly kids and godly parents. We commit ourselves to that and we do so in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen.